Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder from the Apple. We've got a fun show today. Um, later in the show, Stephen Josiah is going to be here for a wide spectrum, lengthy conversation on the drafts. But first, my buddy Bruce McClure, who is the uh, membership ambassador at Sabre. Um, Sabre, of course, is celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. They have a big celebration coming up next month. And uh, we're going to jump into all that. We're going to talk some Mets. Bruce, thanks for joining, man. Thanks for having me. How you doing? Doing fantastic. So you guys got a uh, busy, busy few weeks ahead of you. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. We we most certainly do. Saber Fifty is just around the corner. We are beyond thrilled to celebrate this. We're 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 just happy that we can all get together again. Oh, I think that's just um, you know everything that's meant to the game, the direction that it's taken the game in the last you know since its inception. Uh, deserves to be celebrated. And, and yeah, from, from what, just reading on the website, of course, everybody, it's sabr.org. Uh, you see all the information there. We're going to get into the details a little shortly. But, um, yeah, it, just, it's, it seems like you guys are really, you know, going 100%, 110% even into this, and it's, it's really cool to see. We want to make this one of the best conventions ever. We really, It's been delayed twice now. And the Hyatt and Baltimore has been so gracious with the organization to help us move move through this so that we could put this on. And now here we are just a few weeks away with a laundry list of fantastic presentations and posters and speakers. Uh, you can hear my voice. I'm ready to go. I want to start now. <laughs> I want to get to Baltimore. I want to get started. <clears throat> Oh, absolutely. And and just looking through the, the list of, of speakers you guys have lined up, I mean, this is um, this is an all-star lineup. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Tim Kerjerkian is our keynote address speaker. We're having opening remarks by uh, Sig Mayall. Uh, Boo Powell is going to be around. I think he's going to be uh, serving some barbecue to us Friday night at the game. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm speculating on that. Uh, Larry Lucchino, former Orioles president, is going to be there. He also helped uh, get the Worcester Red Sox off the ground with that beautiful new ballpark that they have. And speaking of ballpark designers, Janet Marie Smith is going to be there as well. And a 50 years later panel with Judy Pace Flood, Kurt Flood's widow, will be there. And that will be headed up by Mark Armour, a, an award-winning historian and our board president, Brad Snyder of uh, Georgetown University, and Shakia Taylor of the Chicago Tribune. All right. That's just, I mean, that's, it, it sounds like you guys have quite, quite the event for the weekend center. Oh, we have, they, we're going to be going all, it's four days of incredible baseball talk and experiences. We're going to be going from, from bell to bell every day. 
Oh, that's great. And you go, you guys are all checking out a game together. I think there's a, a big, um, I guess, a dinner reception or something like that, right? Yes, there's a uh, reception on Wednesday, which will be where our awards will be announced, including the Bob Davis Award, which is the most prestigious award that Sabre has to offer. Uh, we are going to the Orioles game on Friday night. I know Mark Armour has, is predicting a win for the Red Sox that night. I'm <laughs> I'm pulling for the Orioles. Uh, I like what they're doing out there. And the historic ballpark bus tour on Thursday where we will be seeing six sites where baseball was played in Baltimore is just, it's, it's a fabulous time. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. Of course, guys, if you're looking for tickets, if you're looking for more information, again, the website is saber.org. That's S-A-B-R.org. Um, there's still ticket packages available. There's, I believe there's a a la carte package. So you can kind of pick and choose what's, what works best for you. And I'm still, uh, I'm still working on that myself. There's an all inclusive package that ends today, the 15th. If you want to get in on that, get to the website, saber.org slash convention, and you can see it all there. Sign up quick. You're all set. Excellent. And this is going to be like a conversions of, 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 of like-minded individuals from all over the country and probably, and then some, it should be really um, just the, the little side conversations, the little nooks and crannies of this whole extravaganza should just be such an experience. Extravaganza is a great word for it. I'm actually um, looking forward to a lot of people from outside the country. I know I have a very good friend from Australia who has told me she and her husband are they're slated to go. They want to get there, and I can't wait to see them. We haven't been together in one room in way too long. So we're ready. Oh, that's sad. It seems to be the name pretty much everywhere right now. And it's it's nice to be getting back to normal, and I'm sure everyone's going to be smart and taking proper precautions. And, yeah, just it, it sounds like a, um, just a boatload of positivity, and that's, I think, what we all need right now. That's, that's exactly what Sabre's about, a boatload of positivity with um, baseball and friendships and creating this network of people that you want to have that you can go to and just discuss this great game. Exactly. I mean, it, it, the simplest joys of even just going to the ballpark and striking up a conversation with the, you know, the, the, the person next year, the family next year, whatever the case is. Um, it's that but on a on a on a saber on a saber type level where oh my goodness it just you know I, again I think it's something that everyone who's who wants to be there and who will be there they need that in their life right now and and, and boy that just sounds like such a great time absolutely we 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 all we all need a little bit of a of a boost these days. <laughs> oh, you could, I couldn't have said it better myself. Hey, the Mets are giving us a bit of a boost. First place into the second half. I mean, we're not used to this. You're right. You're right. I love it. You know, watching DeGrom come back, this is fantastic. Um, <laughs> watching Scherzer come back and get on that mound again, that's just uh, – the second half for the Mets, I think, is going to surprise a lot of people because I think they're going to take off. They're going to leave the Braves in the dust. Jessica, if you're listening, Jessica Smith, who is, is with the home office in Arizona, sorry, we're leaving the Braves in the dust. I guess the rejoining rivalry has been so fun, and it's only July. Right? 
You know, I, a lot of these games have been off the hook in the stance too. Oh yeah. Oh, I, you think you can feel it? I mean, just wow. around the neighborhood, seeing a you know someone in a Mets hat, it's you give us a, a little nod. You, you feel the energy. Now you're you're, you're not in New York, though, right? No, I'm up in New London, New Hampshire. Don't blink driving through this town. But my father-in-law across the street is a big Yankees fan. And even he's been saying, you know, the Mets are on fire right now. It's like, well, come on the bandwagon. It's okay. We're good. Oh, yeah. I'm sure Yankee fans are jumping off their bandwagon to come on ours. Just (laughs) Oh, my goodness. But, you know, I think coming out of Atlanta, winning two out of three with a short roster, that's just, an, you know, a, 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 a testament to what this team's able to do and up against the wall, what they what they were kind of forced into doing. And, and you yeah. hope to kind of head into that. We're recording this just before the Mets start their series in Chicago. Um, yeah, kind of hope they head into the, into the All-Star break with a really strong showing in Chicago, which historically they've actually done pretty well in Wrigley Field. Yes, you want to make sure that you're hot at the All-Star break. You want to come out of that on fire and, and and take off. The Braves are way too close right now. And the two, well, you got one gun back with Scherzer and the second one's on the way. Oh, yes. So, he's, he's making his fire start as we speak, right? That's right. That's right. It's better than any trade he could make. <laughs> and for so, how many years did we hear? Oh, you know, uh, we're getting so and so back at the uh, from injury. It's like getting the, the trade deadline, and you know, the Mets are still going to be active at the trade deadline. You have to be, you have to assume. But boy, looking at Degrom coming back, that kind of fits the bill. It's 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 almost surreal. I agree. I agree. And you've also got something that you haven't had in the past, and that's uh, Uncle Stevie and the wallet. Yeah. Oh, I mean, the dedication to winning is just so um, it's exciting. From a fan's perspective, this is uncharted territory. Well, the other thing that he's doing is he's reconnecting with the fans on such a level. Like we did, uh, Keith's number retirement was one thing that I thought was just a beautiful thing. They've been uh, clamoring for that for years, honor Hernandez for what he did for the organization. And just to see that scene that day, he was overcome with with joy, and it was a beautiful day for him. Oh, absolutely. And you got to think that at least for Cohen, the highlight of his day had to be meeting the Ghostface Killer from Wu-Tang Clan, right? 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 I mean... <laughs> I mean, that, 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 would, that would be my banner moment, but that's... Well, just- <clears throat> there you go but uh, yeah it's just you know having having that wallet behind the front office they can make the trade they can get the guy they need and, and it's not just the Yankees stage anymore the, the whole win now kind of vibe that's coming from this organization it's I honestly have no idea what to expect whether they're gonna you know going full bore at the trade deadline and you know, they could take so many avenues to get there. Um, yeah, I have no idea what to expect. I mean, we could all speculate, oh, this guy's gone, this guy's gone. They're going to get this guy. I honestly, I, I couldn't throw darts and, and, and pinpoint what they, are, what they have cooking. You got to think that they're making a push. And uh, <laughs> from, a, uh, from a long-time X-Men's perspective, it's extremely refreshing. Yeah, it's something. Something good is coming, and I mean, if you don't get to raise that trophy this year, you will, and it's not far off. 
<laughs> I don't remember 1986. I need a Mets championship. The Giants won a couple for me, and that was fun. I'm still riding high off that. If that's if you could even believe it, it's been you know a dozen years. But uh, yeah, I I need a Mets championship in my life. We all do. I got to tell you, I remember '86 very well. My dad was a Red Sox fan. And I was a Red Sox fan growing up. And the, the thing that I took away from 86, you know, ground ball, the Buckner goes through his legs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what isn't talked about much is the fact that in the Red Sox dugout, there was a guy wearing number 41. <laughs> and when the Mets won, it he was the last guy in the dugout yeah. watching that. He had tears in his eyes. Him and Wade Boggs. Wade Boggs was visibly crying. Tom Seaver. Tom Seaver was overcome. Yeah. And just th that juxtaposition of that man's life, that, uh, that is stuck with me for a long time. I remember the pictures the next day in the paper, the shots on TV. And it, it really stuck with me that that was the end of his career. Yeah. And, you know, I think he tried to give it a shot. And how often do you see <laughs> just say, nope, I don't have it. And it, I believe he tried to give it a go. And he said, nope, I, I just, I can't perform at the level <laughs> perform. And this is it. I'm done. He didn't even make an appearance. Walked away. That's true. It, it's just, you know. Incredible. And to come full circle the way he did, to finish it in the stadium that, you know, he put on the map, oh, just, you know, you couldn't write that story if, if you tried. You're right. You're right. And, you know, once again, now we can now we connect it back to the Coens and we see what, what Steve Cohen did for uh, Seaver's widow in getting that statue finished and placed in the right spot. Ah. It's the perfect storm, the perfect orange and blue storm, Bruce. Yeah, I agree. Special times. So um, do we have dates and do you have a little bit, I guess, a quick rundown of what, um, where everybody can get more information about Sabre 50? Sabre 50 is going to be held August 17th through the 21st at the Hyatt Regency Inner Harbor, 300 Light Street, Baltimore, Maryland. You can get more information or sign up for Sabre 50, and you do not have to be a Sabre member to join this party. You can join this party as long as you're a baseball fan. Go to sabre.org, S-A-B-R.org, slash convention. Everything is there. If you need some help, if you have any questions, you all can always contact me. My direct email address is from Bruce McClure at gmail.com. Excellent. I'll be sure to uh, to link everything in the pod description, everybody. If you need a link to go directly to it, just go ahead and go back to the page, scroll down. It should be right there. And, uh, and Bruce, I can't thank you enough for coming on, man. This was um, an absolutely uh, a slice of heaven of the conversation. I cannot thank you enough for having me. Uh, you know, if you ever want to talk about Sabre again, I'd love to come on again. But this has been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, Tim. Thanks oh, for having absolutely. me. Absolutely. Uh, Bruce, if we had more time, if me and Steven didn't go like, I would say a solid 90 minutes just off on these absolute tangents, I want to know all about the history of Sabre. I want to know the, the where it's started, where it's gone to. And, yeah, we're going to have to get back together after the convention because we're going to need a recap. Let's do this again, man.
<laughs> All right. Bruce, thank you so much again, everybody. Um, hang tight. We're going to take a quick break, and we're back with Stephen Josiah. We're going to be talking about the draft. Hang tight. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. Welcome back. Another big welcome back, Stephen Josiah. What's happening? Hey, Tim, how are we doing? Thanks for having me back on. Doing well. Thank you for uh, for being with us. You're, uh, I mean, Ray, Ray can't be with us. He's preparing for a, a show this week in Brooklyn. But um, yeah, you guys are my go-tos for, for the draft. I'm glad that I was able to, able to get at least one of you on. You know, the July comes around and, and the bat signal goes out and Ray and I are, are here to, to answer the call. Well, it's July now. It was June for forever. Now the draft's in July, which, by the way, I think is a, a much, much better call. You don't have you know, drafted college kids that are going out there in the College World Series throwing 145 pitches. So much better this way. Absolutely. But, yeah. um, kind of a star-studded field this year. I mean, I, I'm admittedly not well-versed in the um, – in the, the draft eligible field, uh, I've had a, you know, uh, an uphill climb learning, you know, the minor league systems from across the league. <laughs> the new wave coming in is just beyond me. So, um, you know, I, I do know some names. I know there's 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 some um, uh, very, uh, I guess, uh, I guess you can call them family names. Uh, oh, yeah. you know, family descendants between uh, sons and nephews and such. You know, it's funny, Tim, just before jumping on the call, I was like, hmm, well, Ray's not here to keep me on track. I'm going to have to actually, you know, be focused. And I wrote down like five, five big stories for this draft. And, and number one is legacy players, because it's such a it's going to make a lot of us feel old. And it's going to remind a lot of folks on just how great some of these players from our youth or, or our young adulthood really were. But, you know, the number one prospect on everyone's board is Drew Jones. And of course, that's the son of Andrew Jones, who's a probably should be in the Hall of Fame and, I don't know, all-star like 42 times, won 110 gold gloves. And, yep, his son is, shockingly, Tim, a really good defensive, speedy center fielder. I know that's that comes as a surprise. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, Andrew Jones, It, it I'm still on the fence regarding his, his Hall of Fame candidacy. Mm. But, I mean, there's no question he was an outstanding ball player. And he was on that torturous Braves team from uh, from the late '90s, so I understand reluctance. I didn't. I, I didn't want to put Chipper Jones in the Hall of Fame. If I'm being honest with you, Tim. <laughs> oh man, you look at. I mean, it took me a long time to, to to get over the dislike and start to respect Chipper. That was the same, same. And 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 I I eventually did. And you could look at his Fangraphs page or even his his Baseball Reference page, and you know, his OPS plus or weighted runs created plus just astronomical 
like throughout his career. Unreal. It's really crazy thinking about but back to those teams. And, you know, I, I actually posted this on Twitter yesterday in the midst of this, this great Brave series that we just finished up. And I like it when the Mets and the Braves are rivals because it's been a long time since it's felt like this just feels right. It feels like the universe is in balance. I just hope we come out on top more often this time. Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's baseball. The Braves got really, really hot. The Mets started off really hot. Um, Roles switched. You know, the Mets have been playing catch up, dealing with injuries. The Braves keep winning. And, and, you know, it's... (laughs) This is going to be a, a very fun stretch. I think everyone listening can agree that, yeah, we hope the Mets can, can pull away. But, you know, this is, um, this is good for the sport in general. When, when you have a, a higher profile rivalry building, or I should say like rekindling, it's um, yeah. exciting. Absolutely. And the Braves weirdly just traded for a draft pick in the draft this weekend. And yes, listeners, you can trade draft picks. You've actually been able to trade draft picks since the last CBA. So this has been a few years now. However, you can only trade competitive balance picks. These are the picks that Major League Baseball gives to smaller market, low-revenue teams as a way of balancing out the influx of talent uh, into the system since they're not you know, buying those players like the big market teams are, big market teams should be. Uh, and the Braves actually sort of just bought one off of the the Royals, traded a couple prospects. Uh, really, the headliner of it was a, a minor league player who really wasn't getting it done. Uh, still ranked pretty well, but some concerns there and flipped him to... Um, that was Drew, uh, Drew Waters, right? It, it, correct, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, so Casey picks up Drew Waters and, and uh, Atlanta gets Kansas City's competitive balance pick. I'm not looking at the list right now, but it's... I don't know, 40th pick, somewhere around there, 35th pick, which is important, of course, from the player that you can get. But more importantly, I, I think for a lot of us that have been following this and and especially considering a new rule that I'll talk about maybe a little bit later uh, regarding the pool, they get all that money as well. And that just gives you more power in the draft. It gives you more flexibility to maybe reach for a player um, or a player down the board, which this is something that I really wasn't so familiar with, but I've been hearing about a lot recently, and especially the past couple drafts. The idea is that a player can tell teams, hey, this is this is my price tag, or I'm going to college or going back for my junior or senior year in college. And if, if the team doesn't meet that, they'll just move to the next guy on their board. So yeah. if you're if you're the Braves, you could float someone down to that pick. It's something that the Mets might be looking to do, considering we have two first-round picks, uh, number 11 and number 14. So we actually, despite not picking in the top 10, have the third highest overall pool. So we could potentially float a player that's maybe more like a number five, number six pick if we you know, float the idea, hey, we can give you $6 million down here. And then all of a sudden they start dropping down the board. So it's just something that the Braves did just pick, pick up that extra pick. I don't like it because I think it was a good trade for the Braves and it just gives them more power in this draft. Right. I guess between, um, I don't want to say manipulating slot price, but having that little wiggle room there. I mean, we've seen the Mets take advantage of it a number of times. Absolutely have. Yeah. I think Matt Allen was a great example of that because he slipped to the third round. This was the number one high school pitcher in that class. You, You might be able to, to nitpick that and say he was number two, but most people agreed he was the number one prep pitcher in the, oh, help me, Agar 2019 Who was draft. that? Lodolo? Uh, uh, no, Matt Allen. 
Matt Allen from uh, who's Tommy John surgery in our farm system. Oh no 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 yeah. Who is the number one? Arguably the number one pitcher in that draft was that Lodolo? Oh, overall, yeah, but Lodolo was coming out of college. Uh, so so this oh, right. Matt Allen was the the number one prep pitcher. Um, gotcha. And and he slipped. He probably would have gone around the fifteenth pick. There wasn't a ton of prep pitching towards the top. Uh, actually, very similar to this draft. Good top end uh, prep pitching, but maybe not one in the top ten. That's where Matt Allen sort of was. And we floated him down to the third round because teams multiple times pass on him thinking, oh, he's he's going to college. He's going to honor his commitment because he's not going to get that money. And we were able to, to float him down there, give him a, a number that worked for, for the Mets and worked for Matt and his family. And, and yeah, that worked out great for us. But I mean, in the time, of course, he hasn't pitched a lot, unfortunately, due to the pandemic and then Tommy John surgery. But yeah, it's a perfect example of that. And I, yeah, I'm not sure I call it manipulation. I mean, it is, it isn't. Um, I do think there are teams that are better and worse at this. And for the record, Tim, the Mets are really good at this. They're really good at getting their player, getting them from the, for the right dollar amount, and then finding college players that they can sign on the cheap to help balance that back out. So for listeners who are not familiar with this, there's a, it's a fairly hard cap on the amount of money that you're, you're allowed to spend in a draft. You can go over but it's met with very, very harsh penalties that get even, even harsher and harsher. So if you are 0 to 5% over, you just get a 75% tax on that overage, which in the era of Steve Cohen, who cares about that? If you go between 5 and 10, I believe you lose your next draft's first round pick. So at that point, no team's ever done that. Uh, so it, it does get a little dicey pretty quick there. Um, so so there is sort of this, this soft, hard, not so not so hard cap and teams will go kind of right up to that, right up to that limit, but, but not over. But within that, let's say you have $10 million, you can do whatever you want with that. So if there's two players you really, really like, you could give each of them almost $5 million each and then just do cheap senior college signs the rest of the way. Yeah. I, and I guess that's the, the beauty of having these, these sort of options and, and with the Mets amateur scouting department and the success that they found, it, it almost feels like, um, you know, you go in with a plan and of course you can't stick to, you know, you can't stick to these plans because things change, you know, at the turn of a dime. But um, knowing that you have the ability to kind of bob and weave through different situations, uh, especially with a, uh, you know, a, a highly respected, highly effective amateur scouting department. It feels like mm-hmm. um, potential for a real win. Now, the Mets are at 11 and 14. Those are, you know, maybe not, you know, your primo spots, but those are extremely desirable places to be in the draft. Um, do you have any, you know, directions you think they might be going? Not not necessarily player, but experience-wise, position-wise. And we'll get into the players in a little bit. Well, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and this is something I think that uh, Tommy Tanis and Mark Tremuda and, and Sandy Alderson and, and I'm sure now Billy Epler, they're, they're very tight-lipped. In fact, I almost think that uh, Tommy Tanis feeds a little bit of bad intel from time to time uh, to the right people at the right time. He's very, very clever with this. So if you recall last draft, we heard so much about Matt McLean. Uh, so much about Colson Montgomery. I think those were the two who were most commonly mocked to the Mets in the weeks leading up to the draft. 
and well, neither of them were, were I even. To, I don't want to cut you off. My yeah, having a, a hell of a season. He really is, and I, I'm you know I'll take the the L on that one because I did not want the Mets to to draft him. I thought there were hit tool concerns. He was fairly ranked down more towards thirty than number ten where the Mets picked. Uh, but yeah, he's doing great for for the White Sox. But those were the two guys that we heard about the most. We heard a little bit of South Relic. And then just right towards the end, Kumar Rocker, because you, you do start to get some some more solid intel in 24 hours before the draft or so. And from what I understand and what I've heard from from some folks who have ties to the team, the South Frolic smoke was real, but the, the Montgomery McLean smoke wasn't. And it's just funny because somebody leaked that to the Jonathan Mayos and the Keith Laws of the world, probably with tactfully right to to sort of throw others off so anything that you're hearing right now just just don't buy into it because it's probably not going to happen i i think the, the there's a few mocks out right now that all have the same two players going to the mets and it's jace young at number 11 and then daniel suzak the catcher out of arizona for um for pick 14 um jace young brother of josh young Brother of Josh Sung, yeah. So, oh, I, I forgot to finish up our legacy players. So that, we have a couple of siblings in this draft, too. Like like you said, Jace Young, uh, bro- brother of Josh Young. And Suzak, the, the catcher that I was just talking about, was brother of, of Andrew Suzak. The, I think he was a farmhand for the, for the Red Sox. I'm not sure if he ever made the bigs, but you know, professional baseball player in his own right. Uh, Mikey Romero, who's a prep shortstop. He is the the younger brother of the uh, of the Romero uh, sisters, the the softball greats. So there's a couple cool uh, sibling oh. connections in this draft as well to go along with Drew Jones and Jackson Holiday and Justin Crawford. And yes, listeners, those are the sons of of Carl and Matt. <laughs> Justin Crawford is Carl Crawford's son. <laughs> that's right. That's that's <laughs> nuts. And man, the other one is Matt Holiday's son. Matt Holiday, right? Who I swear was playing in the bigs. Just, a few years ago it's just it's it's wild that their but sons it's are 2022 yeah. right it's wild that it's 2022 and matt holiday still hasn't touched home plate <laughs> oh i threw that one in there slid that one in there very nicely tim <laughs> I, he has to try but we have to i mean it was um that was a hell of a game but yeah he, he definitely didn't dude if you ask me um giambi was safe on the uh on the jeter play but that's beyond the point <laughs> Well, we're going to get way off track. And yeah, I'm reminded, though, that, you know, the Griffey, uh, Griffey Jr. and and Griffey Sr. played together. So at least it's not that crazy. But yes, this does make me feel a little old. But but again, so we're talking about, you know, four legacy players probably within the top 20 picks who are sons and then another two within the top 20 or 30 uh, who are brothers of uh, very famous uh, pro athletes. So that's that's just very, very cool for those for those connections. Uh, do you, yeah. do you see that as a trend? Just because you see the Bo Bichette, you know, uh, Vlad Guerrero's, and mm-hmm. you see yeah. legacy players have success and kind of find their way. Um, is this a, a tried and true thing in your opinion, or is it you know is this just kind of moving along with the with the with the ways right now? You know, this is, I'm going to take a long way to answer this question. Way back in the 2012 draft, I had the pleasure of interviewing Courtney Hawkins, who ended up getting drafted by the White Sox. Uh, he was he was a popular favorite for Mets fans, and a lot of folks thought he was going to get drafted by the Mets. I believe this was the – was this the Giolito draft? It might have been. Anyways, 2012, I think so. Um, yeah, Giolito and Nats, right? Yeah, and he was supposed to go number one, and we took – do we take shortstop uh who didn't work out what's his name uh Ciccini? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that draft. Yep, that's right. <laughs> yep. Anyways, Hawkins didn't work out either, but it, really incredible young man. Um, just a wonderful interview, really motivated. It, it's a shame that uh, his career didn't turn out the way that, that he wanted, but um, I got to interview him and I I asked him, he's an African-American player, and, and um, I was writing for a, for a blog at the time. The editor wanted me to ask uh, one question about, you know, do you see African-American players uh, starting to come back to the game? Because the percentage of, of African-American players dropped precipitously from the 80s and 90s to, you know, when, when I was asking this question. And he said, you know, something that's, that's hard when you don't have money is to get seen. Uh, to get the training, to get the equipment, to go to the showcases, to to get the workouts, to get the now, to get the advanced analytics, to get all that the, that equipment on you, it costs a lot of money. And, and black players in this country are typically a little bit lower income, come from a little bit lower income families. And it was such a, I mean, again, I'm asking this of an 18 year old, and it was such a great, profound answer, and really made you think. But the the converse of that is, I think, what you're asking me about these legacy players, because they they have all the opportunity. They have the money to, to go to these showcases, have all the right equipment. Of course, there's a genetics factor as well, right? Because when you're Drew Jones sitting there at six foot three, 180 pounds and strong and fast and agile, that, that doesn't hurt. But also having a multimillionaire father who has connections to the best coaches and, and anything you could possibly want, oh, that doesn't hurt either. With a the, with the pitching machine in your backyard, probably. Right, <laughs> exactly. So do I see, is it a tried and true thing? Uh, I think it's it's a just a, a great confluence of of genes and opportunity. Uh, so that's that's I think that's why you're starting to see uh, more of these legacy players in the game now because I think it's getting harder for lower income players to to get seen and get that opportunity, which is unfortunate. But and I might be wrong on that. I'd, I'd love to hear other folks' take on that. But uh, yeah, seeing you know a dozen legacy players each draft is it's cool for a baseball fan. It also does make you think like if other players got that opportunity, the visibility and the flexibility, right. To say like, Hey, if I don't get the number that I want, I'm going to go to college further hone my craft, get an education. That's another privilege that you have there too. Well, I mean, look at the work our friends at baseball generations is doing. I know Dom Smith is highly involved with them. Mm, absolutely. Uh, um, uh, JP Crawford, uh, our buddy, Chris Simon from the Apple. Uh, you know, this is a, I guess an Avenue, for, for low-income areas and low-income ballplayers to, to get noticed and showcases that they can get into and, and uh, you know, get eyes on, on players who deserve to be in the game. And it's, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's wonderful. And especially now that you're seeing more and more young black players, um, you know, make impacts. Look at, you know, your C.J. Abrams, your Jazz Chisholm. I know we just said him, but, you know, there's um, Tim Anderson. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. just so many extremely talented players in the game and uh no it's 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 america's game or america's is. is what they said for so long and and you know it, it's it's for everybody america's a melting pot at its core so this and is to your, cool. to your point too the social media uh, accounts like pitching ninja being able to get exposure to to pitchers who are thrown in their backyard on a gun hitting 90 when they're in high school and so you might not have yeah, cross trekker never saw that guy. Well, now all of a sudden they might go make him see him. Oh yeah. Oh, and that's that's half the battle, right? Absolutely, get get it out there. So yeah, I do think it's improving. But 
Uh, yeah, again, the, the opportunity is still a big thing in getting seen, and um, there's some players just have have greater opportunity than others. It's still just still a fact of the the amateur side, at least. College, I, I think it's. I mean, if you're not seeing folks in college, I think that's just on your organization for not getting out there. You shouldn't be missing on the college players, but on the prep side, yeah, that still happens a lot. I think. Well, you know, I guess it, there were so many more misses when the draft was, you know, how many rounds? <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Now, and it's in its truncated version there's still going to be hits and misses there's still going to be sleepers there's still going to be guys who are you know picked late who end up having really nice major league careers it's just um the nature of of, of well not the nature of the game but the nature of the game you know what i mean and uh and development nobody can predict these things um it's just it's always fun to see how it how it shakes out uh oh man i had a a question regarding what you were just saying and i forgot about it but um, oh, Kumar Rocker. Mm-hmm. Hey, do you know how I said I had five stories in this draft? Guess what number two is, Tim? It's like you're reading my mind. I promise I did not share this with him before we started recording. <laughs> number two on my list is Kumar Rocker. So he's dealing with some injury problems, right? Well, I mean, he is and he isn't. Um, <laughs> so a couple weeks ago, Scott Boris sent the results of his physical to all 30 teams. Well, probably 29 teams, if we're being honest, (laughs) um, showing a clean bill of health with the concession that he had shoulder surgery in September of last year. And of course, made the Boris claim that it was just, it was a minor procedure. I think that's what the the verbiage that he used, a minor procedure, and that he's fully healthy now. He may be fully healthy. Um, He certainly was thrown well in the independent league. He made a few starts over there. I think top to 99, the slider was great. He looks fantastic. But there's no such thing as minor shoulder surgery, and this happened two months after the Mets backed out of the deal. And I'm not going to relitigate that. I know this is not what this show is about. Um, but is he dealing with injury problems? I don't know. Shoulders are a huge concern. I, I've said it before. There's only one joint in the in the human body that a team would walk away from after seeing the medicals, and it's the shoulder. Because even the Mets aren't afraid to sign Tommy John players if it was just an elbow I, the Mets probably f- figure out a deal with them it's oh, the it, shoulder and with JT Ginn I mean exactly drafted yeah. him and even if he wasn't in their future plans flip them over for a, a, a win now player I mean that's just smart baseball absolutely is yeah and, and JT Ginn was actually like a million over slot <laughs> he was way way over um to, to get him. he turned down Went back to school after the Dodgers selected him? I, it was the Dodgers. I think you're right oh, on that. Yeah. Yeah. See, I guess I'm not that, that rusty on these things. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny, Tim, because you mentioned that like, you, you've got so many players to keep track of in the minor leagues, and it's great that you do. I don't do so nearly as good a job on, on that front. But there, there's a lot of minor league fans now. And, and when I was growing up, minor leagues, you knew of them, but you didn't, you didn't have the sort of fandom around the minor leagues and prospects and prospect lists. Uh, I think the way that we do now, and it's really cool. There, there's probably more like tens of thousands of minor league baseball fans or hundreds of thousands instead of thousands. There's like 11 people that follow the MLB drafts, Tim. Okay. There's <laughs> like, it may be a baker's dozen. That's it. So don't feel, <laughs> don't feel bad for not, not knowing the top hundred in this draft. Cause yeah, there's there, you can count them on two hands. <laughs> well, it's funny. Cause you know, when I started doing this, which started 2017 ish, um, you know, I could look at just, MLB top prospect lists and and you know after the top 10 I'm shooting in the dark 
I could pretty much go through the list now. And I know who everybody is. Like I pat myself on the back all the time. And once they're drafted and start making impacts, then I'll get into it. And let me open up some 2022 Bowman draft. And I'm sure I'll, um, I'll get to know everyone a little bit better. And, and this is a really good point, Tim, because there's very little consensus once you're past a few picks. There's, I, I think most folks would agree there's seven blue chip or what I would, or what I would say can't miss prospects in this draft. Then after that, from number eight to 25, you could scramble in just about any order and it would make some level of sense. And let me tell you something else. Out of that top seven, two of them for sure are going to be busts. Uh, two are probably going to have okay careers. Uh, the, the other three will be be all-stars, and, and one of them might be a superstar. That's just how the, the draft works. So the Mets at 11 and 14, if you get two regular players, not superstars, maybe make an all-star team here or there, maybe win a gold glove here or there, so like just really nice everyday players, that's a win. Yeah, so pretty much if, if you draft, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take some mid-round guys here, uh, Seth Lugo and, and Jeff McNeil. That's a win. I know it sounds silly because it's and Seth Lugo is a reliever, but if you're getting, I don't know what, what set that six, eight career war, something like that, that's considered a win in the middle of the first round. So I think fans do have to temper expectations a little bit. If you're picking number one overall, sure. You, you want a stud, you want a superstar and teams historically have done pretty well with the number one overall pick. Once you get past the, the first few though, it's, it's really a lot less than you think as far as production. And the Mets have seen that even in the, the Sandy Alderson era. We, we mentioned Chikini earlier on. Dom Smith, loving to death, but he's, he's not had the, I think he was a number thir- 12 or 13 overall pick. He's not had the yeah. career that, that we thought. Uh, and, and then some, you know, we, we hit home runs with Brandon Nimmo. Uh, we'll see about David Peterson. This was one of my favorite Mets picks. He's, he really feels like he's coming into his own. Michael Conforto, I think, did pretty well for, for being a first-round pick. Uh, maybe not the career we thought uh, five years ago, but certainly a very good one, every bit worthy of a first round pick. Uh, so, so again, you you really hope you get that stud. You hope you find Mike Trout in the middle of the first round. The reality is if you get an everyday regular, that's good. That's really good. Oh, oh absolutely. And it's see to me, what strikes me is, as just different about the MLB draft is that, you know, you look at the NBA, you look at the NFL, um, your first round pick is supposed to be can't miss. And mm-hmm. you would think, you know, you would think in general that would be the rule of thumb moving over to all professional sports and all amateur drafts. In baseball, like you said, there's just so much chance for either, uh, like you said, a bust or, a, or an unexpected burst, whatever the case may be. Um, it's just so odd to me. I guess it's just striking to me that, that you know, these are high, high draft picks, and it's so many rounds, and you'd think that, um, you know, you'd have some sort of grasp on these things, and it's got to be the gap between draft and major league debut that kind of shakes these things up, right? Right, and just the development time frame is yeah. so different from the NBA and the NFL. Two of my favorite players in this draft, both of them are probably going in the top five picks, uh, Elijah Green and Cam Collier, who oh, another legacy player that I forgot. That's Luke Collier's son. Um, they both might take five years to get to the big leagues. Cam is only 17. He went the Bryce Harper route of going to junior college um, instead of his senior year of high school. So he was able to enter this draft instead of next year's. If you take five years, your 22-year-old rookie, that's considered a young player. That's, that's, a, that's a fine development time period. 
Uh, for Elijah Green, five years, we put him at age 23. That's normal. So you're drafting these guys. You think, oh, this is a stud. This is I'm I'm getting the next uh, I'm getting the next Ronald Cunha Jr. And that's that's been Elijah Green's most popular comparison because he's just a tooled up physical outfielder with potentially plus plus power, plus plus speed. But his hit tool has a question, and whatever team drafts him, and I'm I'm hoping the Mets can float him down to 11. That's 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 my bold my bold take is that the Mets are going to do something nuts and, and try to you know offer him seven million dollars and just just float him all the way down the board to 11. Uh, that, that's that's besides the point. If you draft him, you've got to understand that he's going to take some time in the low minors to work on that hit tool, work on on making more consistent contact. Because the complaint about him is that he misses on pitches in the zone. And that's a, that's a bit of a red flag. He's got every other tool you could possibly want, but that's the reason he's not number one overall. And, and some mocks have him slipping down to pick six, pick seven. The idea has been out there, maybe, uh, you know, encouraged by folks like me that the Mets could even push him down the board to 11. But how can you have the potentially the highest upside player in the draft take five years of development and not get picked until pick 11? Well, it's because you've got concern about the hit tool and you know it's going to take some time. So, yeah, fans might, who don't follow this might say, oh, we just got Ronald Acuna Jr. 2.0. You're not going to see him until 2027. But you hope that if that happens, you do have Ronald Acuna Jr. 2.0 if you do the development stage right and you're patient with the player. Right. I mean, it's not the draft, but look at when the Padres acquired Fernando Tatis Jr., he wasn't mm-hmm. even headlining the trade. That was, was James headlining. Shields' trade, right? <laughs> it was. Well, well, the Padres were more excited about getting back a, whoever the pitcher was because uh, they had a gap in the in the rotation or in the bullpen they needed to fix. Tatis was like, a, he wasn't a throw-in. He had a high ceiling, of course. But, yeah, it's all about development, man. And, you I mean, you don't know where these – where you know, how a player might respond to – upped competition, how confidence might change a player, how confidence might change a player negatively. I mean, there's there's so many factors to pull into it. It's just, uh, it's fascinating. Absolutely. You and I have talked at length about the psychology of the game, and it's something that I think the Mets are are starting to fix within their organization. You heard the, the broadcast talk about nutrition recently. Uh, there's a whole lot of uh, data and advanced metrics and analysts that are working on that side of the game not just for the pro club, but of course, even scouting the draft. So it's, I do think the Mets are at the cutting edge of that. I do think psychology is, is part of that. And, and you know, something I'm, I, I, I think I really learned well when I, when I joined the army was that you're taking kids, you know, at the army, you can join at 17. Um, most of the, most of the people I went through with were either 18 or 19 when they were going through basic training and, and privates in the army, they are kids still. I know you're, able to go fight and die, but you're still kids. And the Army as an organization has to take on part of that family role and, and continue to let them grow and mature. Something that, you know, this is not the point. I don't think the Army does very well. But I thought about this in terms of major league teams because it's the same thing. If you draft a prep player out of high school, 18 years old, maybe 19, if you sign them as an international free agent, it's oftentimes 16. And you have relationships with these kids and their families Sometimes as early as age 13, um, but but imagine being stateside as a teenager, maybe not maybe speaking the language, trying to hone your craft. You really do have to nurture them and let them grow as people, not just as ball players. And I think some teams do this better than others. I think the ones who do it well, um, 
you, know, you can get more out of a player because you're helping them grow well as an individual. So it's that, you know, that, that, that real estate between the two ears is, is pretty important. And I think teams and organizations do have a responsibility to help uh, these players, not just on the physical side, but mental as well. Sure. And I think that it's kind of keeping a balance between the waiting out development and not needing to rush players into spots that they're maybe not ready for. Who comes to mind? You know, look at a guy, look at, you know, I could probably rattle off a couple. Wilmer Flores, Ahmed Rosario, Andres Jimenez. Um, these are guys who, you know, all high, higher end prospects. Of course, Rosario was, a, was a, a very, very highly touted prospect. But all guys that, you know, had to be nurtured, as you said, and had to kind of be led along. And, and you know, oh, well, Wilmer now is a, is a veteran. But, you know, look at Rosario, who's having a terrific run in Cleveland. Jimenez is, a, uh, is an all-star, I believe. I mean, you know. It, it, it takes a certain amount of, of guidance. It takes a certain amount of patience. Um, you know, it might be a, a six-year trek from signing or draft to full, you know, baseball player, ball player maturity. But, you know, you, you have to kind of see that through. And I think, you know, at least from fans' perspective, that, that level of patience is kind of lost. And, you know, hats off to organizations for keeping that patience. But even then, you see guys who – one organization gives up on, he lands somewhere else and he turns into a, you know, a, a quality major league player. And I don't know, it's almost like the, the circle of baseball life. It's fun. So I think, uh, I think the uh, statute of limitations for this has passed so I can actually talk about this because this was 10 years ago that I got this intel, but I, I was out in, in Southern California for work and worked strangely enough with Justin Turner's then fiance's best friend who told me um, <laughs> that he was just not happy in New York. He missed his, his fiance and his family who are all in Southern California. Um, you, I think we both know that the relationship with the organization maybe wasn't the best. And once he got to LA, all of a sudden becomes a, I think we can call him a superstar for, for a number of years. He was a superstar player, one of the best in baseball. Um, Hall very good as far as I'm concerned. Hall very good, yeah. He's definitely not a Hall of Famer, but I mean... No, I, I, no, no, really not, but Hall very good for sure. Hall very good, and he was a, a utility player with the Mets. So what changed? Did he do under, undergo a, a huge fitness routine and just become a, a PT stud? Did he do, undergo swing mechanic? No. He was happy. <laughs> yeah, well, no, Jared Diamond, a big part of his book um, included Justin Turner's story of revamping his swing, but... Confidence and mental state, mental mindset, I should say, is, is, a, is just as important. <laughs> sure, and, and, I, and I don't mean to, to say that there's there, he didn't undergo some growth as a player, because I'm sure that he did, and then the Dodgers are famously really good at getting the most out of, out of their players or finding you know, hidden abilities just by being able to, to coach them well. But yeah, I, yeah. I think we agree that it's, there, there's also this mental aspect that is underreported on, under-talked about, so... And something I think the the Mets look for with their with their draft picks, really high character guys. And I, I'll let folks just Google Khalil Watson right now and what's going on with him instead of taking too much of your your, uh, your podcast time here. But maybe there's oh, well, a reason. Well, no, actually, 
that's a decent conversation to have if you want to delve into it. Sure. So Khalil Watson was a very highly regarded prospect in last year's draft. Some folks thought he had a chance to go number one overall. If not, definitely in the top five. And, and some folks said his upside was was as high as anyone's. He slips uh, to the Marlins, oh, I don't know, pick 15, 16, something like that. Uh, and then signed, which I think a, a lot of folks were surprised at because he had a commitment to uh, NC State, I think. And a lot of people wondered why, because if it's not a signability thing, you see you see prep players sometimes fall down the board because teams aren't meeting that dollar amount and the player just goes to college. You see this every single draft. You'll see it again this weekend. So what happened with Khalil Watson? Well, there's some folks thinking that maybe maybe his his character interviews didn't go very well. Well, in a minor league game uh, not too long ago, he got rung up on a pitch, uh, took his bat and mimed shooting the umpire with it, and it has not played a game since. And that's not a league suspension. That's a, a Marlins organization suspension. I've got two thoughts on this, Tim. Number one is what I just said. Sometimes this, this character, the idea of a high character guy is, is it's completely subjective, but it is something that scouts especially do have a good sense of because you're meeting these these young men, you're meeting their families, you're you're following them for years of their life. So you do have some sense if somebody's got their head screwed on well or if they need some work in that regard. My second thought is that you can grow and change. So there's some 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 folks out there thinking that the Marlins are just going to trade Khalil Watson and be done with him. I think that would be a mistake for the organization. He's still only 19 years old. I, I know I was not the most upstanding human being at 19 years old. And I wouldn't want somebody to write me off because of that. Um, oh, you he, he, did, he didn't go beat up a, a girlfriend or a spouse. Uh, he didn't do anything criminal. He did something really dumb during a baseball game. It's something that you can correct. It's something that you can work with the player to grow and learn. And maybe you'll get better production out of him as a player, too, once those off-the-field things are, are worked out or those mental things are worked out. So, uh, but back to, you know, the, this, this year's draft and the Mets drafts, you, you notice the Mets, they go for really good people. Have you ever noticed that? Like, I, I can't tell you the last time the Mets drafted someone that had character concerns or was really hot headed. You know, we draft, we draft Dom Smith <laughs> and Pete Crow Armstrong, right? This, those are the guys that we go for. Brandon Nimmo, G golly, Brandon, Brandon Nimmo. Absolutely. Absolutely. Brandon Nimmo. That's a, that's a great one. Matt Allen. If you've listened to the interviews with him, Brett Beatty, same thing. They're just really, just really good young men. Uh, at least it's, you don't, you, obviously we don't know them personally. They just come off as very mature and upstanding folks. And I, I do think that the Mets actually target that. If there's one theme with the Mets, uh, there, there's two, no prep pitching in the first round <laughs> and high character human beings. Well, you know, and there's always the surprise. Um, the, you know, there's always, I hate bringing him up. Jose Reyes. I mean, oh, you know, I thought you were going to say Tommy Pham. Jose Reyes is better. <laughs> no, Tommy I don't Pham, know what's I mean, going on with Tommy. You can't, go around smacking, you can't go around <laughs> smacking outfielders pregame. This isn't the NHL, but, um, or even, you know, you've seen it happen in college football. You've seen it happen in professional football. It, it happens, but not over something silly like that. I mean, Tommy Pham, didn't he get, like, stabbed at a strip club two off-seasons ago? I, I, I don't know where. He definitely got stabbed, though. Hey, he's living that life, man. I mean, you know, <laughs> be careful. That's all. Just be, just fucking be careful. Excuse me. Right. Excuse my language. <laughs> just, but, you know, um, Jose Reyes, I mean, the Mets propped this guy up. He's on, you know, terrific trajectories. And, and you know, lo and behold, he's 
doing the terrible things that he did. So, I mean, organizations can do all they can and try to do all the homework they can and, and, and guide, you know, like you said, these young, in most cases, still kids, um, you know, towards a better path to, you know, to success in this game. It just in life, I think you have to kind of put those things hand in hand. But um, I think there's always going to be the outlier. And I do think, I do believe in growth. And I think that uh, Absolutely. Khalil Watson, Khalil Watson is a fantastic baseball player. Um, he's young. Maybe he's a little immature. Maybe he's just a little emotional. Maybe there's just some work that has to be done. Whatever the case may be, I hate to speculate on those things, but, you know, there's always, always, always the opportunity, like you said, to grow, to, to, to do and be better. And um, I hope he does. And and the Mets going out and eliminating the, I guess, the risk in the, in some of these cases by going out and, and doing their homework on high character guys, um, it's probably worked out more often than not for him. They've done very well historically draft-wise, at least in the high picks. Oh, absolutely. There's something that, that came up on Twitter recently that the past 10 drafts, which is pretty much the, the entire Tommy Tanis, uh, Mark Tremuda era under Sandy Alderson, or you know, on and off Sandy Alderson, uh, that the Mets have the second highest wins above replacement from their draft in those 10 years. Uh, number one is the Astros, which is perhaps not a fair comparison because the Astros picked higher than the Mets. The Mets had a lot of high picks, top half of the first round, a lot in those 10 years. But they, I think the highest pick they had was Kalnick at number six. I don't think they ever picked in the top five in, in that stretch. So that's a that's just a huge win for for the organization and, and for that that regime, which I'm happy is still intact there. The, the head of scouting, Mark Tremuda, is, uh, Tommy Tan is just on a, on a podcast recently said he's the, he's the best scout in the country. He'll put him up against anyone. And I, and I believe that. So, yeah, they, they yeah. do their homework and, and their, their blend of analytics and old school scouting and what we just talked about, you know, getting to know the player, their families, their histories. I think that's that's an important part of this, too. It's certainly a factor. It's not ignored. Um, and, and I'm definitely not going to sit here, Tim, and, and go down this list, this draft and say, oh, this is not a high character guy because I don't I don't know. I didn't know with, with any player in last year's draft and I would never speculate that I do know the ones that or some of the players that, that folks have talked about being on the upper end of that scale because teams uh, have interviews with players at the, at the, uh, the combine. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Major League Baseball does have a draft combine. It's only in its second year it happened to come. <laughs> I was going to say, this was the first or the second this year? Second, yeah. Um, and it was actually televised uh, for free on, on MLB.com and on MLB Network. Uh, so really cool, and, and I think this is part of an effort, even if it's a bit half-assed, to get fans interested in the draft. But part of this combine was uh, team interviews, and if it, most every player would interview with every team, uh, assuming the team player had time, and then all matched up and everything. And Reggie Crawford, who's a left-handed pitcher from the University of Connecticut, also a first baseman, some think he's a bit of a two-way player. Most folks agree he's... He's more likely a pitcher going forward because he throws 102 miles an hour from the left side. He came out of that, that combine, those, those team interviews, with teams raving. In fact, a couple analysts said that he has Hall of Fame makeup, whatever that means. If you, can, if you, can, if you could be in the Hall of Fame just for character, uh, supposedly Reggie Crawford is going to be in it. So that, that's how much he impressed teams with his interviews. So uh, that did move him up these aggregate, the, the aggregate ranking uh, that, that I have. So pretty much every ranking list moved him up 
he has not thrown a pitch in a year because he had Tommy John surgery, but he bumped up probably about 20 spots after the combine just because of the interview. Wow. I'm not sure if that's going to translate into, you know, he, he gets drafted 20 spots earlier than he otherwise would have, but it didn't hurt him. I mean, it, it probably made him some money just for being, <laughs> being a good person, or at least coming across as a really good person. <laughs> see, that kind of, see, that kind of blows me away. Like you, you hear about in, in all professional sports, you hear about guys draft stock falling because of a, a bad team interview, character issues, perceived character issues, whatever the case may be. How rare is it to hear a guy go up in the draft because of those character interviews? I, I think we're, we're going to hear more of it because like we just talked about, the, the, the margin between it, pick 70 and pick 90 is non-existent. If you took all 30 teams' big boards, which, Tim, if you could ever get your hand on even just one team, I, I would love it. They're, you know, so it's Fort Knox trying to get those things even 10 years after the fact. Uh, but if you were to actually be able to analyze all 30 of them, you you wouldn't see a consensus between pick 50 and, and pick 70. So if someone like Crawford, yeah, maybe maybe he bumps up from from 70 to 50 just just because of an interview, because it's so it, it's really so thin through there. The, the difference between those players and their and their projections and what teams think they can do with them. So, yeah, I, I do think that we're going to see more of that, especially since those team interviews happen at the Combine. And, and I think for a player like Crawford, it was especially important because he's thrown, I don't know exactly what, he's thrown something like 10 innings the past three years because he had the pandemic year and then Tommy John surgery. And like I said, he was a first baseman a lot. So he it, teams know he's really athletic. He can throw hard, but they don't really know what he can do. So if you take, okay, he's got incredible athletic ability, incredible arm, incredible talent. And he seems to be that that motivated guy who's going to do what it takes. Now, now maybe I now maybe I like him in in round two instead of round three. Sure. Which, by the way, uh, UConn local guy. Uh, Mets have seen him a lot. I'm not saying they are going to pick him. Uh, I do think that they have scouted him pretty pretty heavily, and, and he's potentially higher on the Mets board than other teams. I'm just going to throw that out there. His his aggregate ranking right now for the so so I've got an aggregate ranking list. If, if anyone wants it, just drop me a line on Twitter and I'll and I'll share share the link with you. I took uh, ESPN, MLBs, Baseball America, Prospect Live, and the Athletic, and just did an aggregate ranking of the top 150 or so prospects to see kind of what the consensus amongst these experts are. Reggie Crawford is at 66, uh, so that that would put him in yeah, right at the back of the second round, maybe early third. The Mets have a couple picks around there, and it might be a, a sort of guy that they look at. So just just throwing that out there. Not saying the Mets are going to draft him. I haven't heard anything. I promise. But it's just that's the sort of player the Mets might look at around too. That'd be intriguing. That'd be very intriguing considering the the ceiling, right? And and the Mets, yeah, like you mentioned with JT Ginn, they don't necessarily shy away from those pitchers that have had that surgery. So that's uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah. Now, um, the comp A and comp B picks, which fall between either one and two and, and two and three, uh, the Mets, uh, you have to refresh me because, again, I'm not really a draft guru. Um, the Mets are picking in those spots. They still collected. I, I know they missed out on Conforto's QO, but they do have picks in those in those windows, right? They do. They have t- so they have two extra picks in the top 100 uh, instead of three, like you said, with, which we would have gotten from Conforto, which is just a, a huge bummer. But, uh, yeah, we have the Kumar Rocker pick at 11, and then we have the Noah Syndergaard uh, qualifying offer pick, which I think is 75th 
five. I could be wrong on that. And this does a couple things. It gives you more money for that pool that we talked about at the, uh, at, at the top of the show. So it just gives you more power and flexibility to do things. And what I mean by that is, sure, you could, you could float a player down. Again, fingers crossed, Elijah Green at 11. Uh, you can also go grab a guy who fell too far because he was deemed unsignable. This usually happens with prep pitchers. It sometimes happens with prep hitters, but more often than not, it's with these pitchers that you know, they think that they're worth a certain amount. Their family has a number. The player has a number. And the, and the team is just not willing to go there for, for that guy. Well, you can, you can be sitting there with pick 75 and, and look at a – I'm describing what happened with Matt Allen. <laughs> so if you followed that track, yeah. this is what happened with Matt Allen, who the Mets drafted in round three, despite him being the top prep pitcher uh, on, uh, out of that class. So the Mets could do this again because they have the, the pool money to do it and they have a bunch of picks. Um, so there, there's a bunch of prep pitchers that I think could fall. Owen Murphy, Jacob Miller, which are both Midwest, really uh, just good, good fastball breaking pitch combination players. Uh, J.R. Ritchie, who's a really nice player out of the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I think everyone thinks they're going to be gone kind of late one, early two. But if they slip past there, then those teams are going, hey, we don't have the pool money for this to, to meet, the, meet the, the price tag that they have. Well, the Mets do or you know probably will. So they could go get a top 35-ish prospect down with the 75th pick. Uh, now, of course, if they blow that out of the water with Elijah Green and Dylan Lesko at 11 and 14, they're not going to be doing that, Tim. They're going to be taking a bunch of college seniors for almost every pick after that. But if they, if they go kind of standard at 11 and 14, like Josh, Josh Young and Daniel Suzak, like a lot of people have, have mocked recently, then sure, expect them to go way over slot for some uh, high school players who fell f- uh, further than they should have. It's also exciting, and it's and it's it's even more so because, like I said earlier, um, everything can change on a dime, like and and probably will change on a dime, pretty much with every pick, or even more so. Uh, it's just, you know, look, I'm you know, I look forward to it just to kind of, oh, I like him. Oh, I let's let's keep an eye on this guy, whatever the case may be. Because again, going into it, I am flying totally blind. Absolutely. And it, it, what's fun for me as a fan is that there, there's just so much variance with this and you really don't know how your guys are going to look for another 10 years, maybe even longer than that. Uh, there, there are players that are just now coming into so their own. What's that, Tim? Now, you watch a bunch of college ball, right? I did, yeah. So I live in Austin, Texas, and, and my girlfriend and I got season tickets to the Longhorns. So I, I, I got to watch a bunch of, of Big 12 and non-conference games as well as all the, the, the great Longhorns team that we had going to the College World Series again. Uh, there's a couple couple prospects that are, are fringe top 100, uh, including the player of the year, Ivan Melendez, who's a who's a first baseman, probably going to get drafted somewhere around three. I would love it if the Mets t- took, a, took a shot at him. He's essentially Pete Alonzo 2.0. Uh, it's seriously just... I'm sorry. All the listeners too. Go back and listen to Steven from last year's draft, and I swear that is it's the exact description he gave about Melendez last year. He's Pete Alonzo 2.0. <laughs> and, and do you know what's crazy? I was saying that just because he was hitting the ball harder than anyone else in college baseball, but he he hit like I'd have to go back and look 14 home runs last year or something like that, which is a good season. Uh, he hit 32 this year. Uh, wow. He. he he was top three in slugging OPS. Uh, he was up there in batting average. He hit almost 400. And he was doing it with exit velocities that you see from the Pete Alonzos and, and Joey Gallows and, and, and Stantons of the world. And he was doing it as a college player. So it's um, he, 
good first baseman or DFP yeah. to DH? Uh, yeah, he's a good first baseman. He he was a DH last year because Zach Zubia, who was drafted by, I think the Marlins, I'll have to go back and look. He was the first baseman, and he was pretty pretty good defensive first baseman. Uh, but some folks, his his folks are really high on him think that he could handle third base i'm not one of them but he's a very ad he's like pete he's a big thick guy that is way more athletic and moves way faster than you would think given given his size uh, he's, he's a pt stud he he's a gym rat so he's I, I i if the mets don't go somewhere like reggie crawford in round two or round three i, I would love for them to look at melendez it, of course if they go that college route at most conventional wisdom thinks that the mets are going to do something Fairly bold at pick 11. Maybe that's Jace Young just because he falls to them. A lot of people think he's more of a top eight pick. Go more conventional pick 11 and then go over slot in rounds two and, and three in that compensation pick and, and get try, try to get essentially five top 50 players. The Mets have every ability to do that. That would probably put them out of the running for drafting someone like Avin Melendez or Reggie Crawford. But they could also go the inverse of that. If, if they see Elijah Green in their lap at, at 11, they're going to take him. They're, then they're going to have to save money, and you can do that with the college players. And again, for, for listeners who are asking why, like why, why, could, why are college players cheaper, it's simply leverage. High school players can say, I'm going to college. College players, if they're a sophomore or junior, can go back to school. But if you're a junior going back for, for a senior year, uh, you have essentially no leverage as a senior because you you got to graduate. You're out of eligibility. If you're a sophomore going to a junior, you have a lot more flexibility there. But again, you're you're giving yourself a year to get hurt, a year to get exposed. You know, there's more things that can go wrong than than taking that money and, and going pro at the at the time. So if the Mets go prep early, overslot early, then you might see them take those college players later. Uh, early in the show, you asked me like, what's the Mets strategy here? Is that they there's so many routes they can take. I, I think I don't think we're going to know until the first. Eight, eight or nine picks, and we just sort of see what the, the landscape looks like, then you can kind of get a sense like, oh, the Mets the Mets like college pitching. They like prep bats. They like up the middle players. And then you're – then, okay, now I'm, I'm starting to think yeah, Gavin Cross. I'm starting to think Jet Williams or something like that. And then as soon as they make that pick, then then you scramble and go, oh, okay, all right, they did that. That means they're, they're going to have to go slot at 14, then over slot there. Well, okay, when I say <laughs> you, Tim, I mean I might be the only person who actually sits here listening to draft doing that sort of thing. <laughs> and, and now um, it should be stressed that you know the way it was explained to me is that you never don't draft a guy just because you have a player at that position in the system. If he's the best player available, you go ahead and take him, right? Like if there's a catcher out there who's just you know beyond uh, you know just way well above where he should be, uh, you know should have been taken a round ago and he's still there. Doesn't matter if Francisco Alvarez is here or not. You draft him, right? Correct. Yeah. So I mentioned Daniel Suzak earlier in the show, and he is the number two catcher on the board. There's a Georgia Tech catcher named Kevin Parada, who, uh, if if Ivan Melendez was the best power hitter in college baseball, Kevin Parada was was the second, uh, and and certain people might have him flipped. So that sort of power out of a catcher you just don't see every day. But he's more likely than not going to be gone um, by the sixth or seventh pick. Daniel Suzak, though, is, is a really fine player in his own right. He's a better defender than Parada. Um, not the same sort of power, but the hit tool is, is right there with him. It, good two-way players, uh, guys who are going to stick at catcher, who are going to hit, they're going to get on base, they're going to offer a little bit of pop. 
you know how hard that is to find in Major League Baseball? How few catchers are true two-way catchers? Daniel Suzak has a shot to be one. So, yeah, if the Mets take him at 11 or 14, it's not a bad pick. Fans are going to hate it, and they're going to hate it because we've got Francisco Alvarez, and he's not the sexiest pick you can take there. Uh, you, you could probably take Dylan Lesko. He's almost certainly going to be on the board. He's a top high school pitcher who had Tommy John surgery a couple months ago. Fans are going to want him. The Mets are probably not going to take him. They might take Suzak, and it's not going to be a bad pick. I'm probably not going to be crazy about it like others, but it's a fine pick. So, yes, to answer your question, you you draft the best player on your board. So teams right now, actually probably this past weekend, were finalizing their, their boards and you have a sense of what the player is going to sign for. So there's two considerations. One is where where is your board? What is your board looking like come your pick? And can you take the top guy on your board with the pool money that you have and the strategy that you have going in? If so, the, I like his name was Lesko, right? Dylan Lesko, yeah, he's a top high school uh, player. So a guy like him who, who just had Tommy John surgery mm-hmm. is he still going first round most likely? Or, or probably. Of his health issues, let's say I know Ginn was a college guy, but it's a little different. But well, Matt Allen, right? He's I know he wasn't hurt, but I think there were some things going on with his elbow that teams were aware of, which might be a reason that he slipped. Anyways, that's that's probably a conversation for another day. Um, <laughs> where does Lesko go? Um, Lesko would probably have been off. He may have been a top three pick. Certainly top five uh, before the injury, which is why he's kind of in this great spot for the Mets. The problem is the Mets just don't draft prep pitching. I will say this, Tim. The Mets haven't drafted a first-round prep pitcher, high school pitcher, since Scott Casimir. So this is like over 20 drafts now. So no fan thinks that the Mets are going to take a pitcher. And there's two who are really, really good. The the Gatorade player of the year uh, is a guy named Brock Porter who's insanely talented and he's the number two high school pitcher. Dylan Lesko is even better than he is. Dylan Lesko has what some people think is a future 80 changeup and presently a 70. He's 18 years old, Tim. He's got a 70 changeup right now. And he throws 95. He's a lot of people think he is the best prep pitcher since Mackenzie Gore, maybe going back to Riley green. So it's, it's a, I'm sorry, a Hunter green. So really, really good prep pitcher. I think that normally Tommy John surgery, just because it increases the the range of outcomes, not everybody comes back from Tommy John surgery the same. You drop him about 10 picks. Well, that puts him right where the Mets are picking. I do think that the Mets would take him if the, if the number works out and they like the guy well enough. The thing is not that the Mets have some rule against not taking prep pitchers. It's that they have a risk factor assigned to every demographic and prep pitchers are the riskiest demographics. So naturally they have these players lower on their board. So they're typically gone by the time the Mets are willing to take them. Wow. Yeah. But Tim, this is, this is the draft to do it because they have two picks at 11, 14. And one of them was from this, from the Kumar rocker pick, which, which media drags them for and, and agents <laughs> drag them for. If they're going to go big, this is the draft to do it. So maybe you take Dylan Lesko. Then you go a safe college route. Josh Young, Daniel Suzak, Chase Lauder. Well, he's not really safe. But, you know, you, you get my point. Zach Neto, someone who's safe. You get your guy who's almost a sure, surefire everyday regular. And you get potentially an ace. That's a, a wonderful draft strategy. I, I, I wouldn't. The odds are not zero. People out there will tell you, oh, they're, they're never going to take Dylan Lesko or Brock Porter. Oh, they might. <laughs> and I would love it if they, if they did. <laughs> oh, this is good stuff, man. 
Um, was there anything on your list that we haven't got to? We have a few more minutes. Tim, there's three things on my list that we haven't gotten to. All right, I'll hit them. <laughs> I'll hit them real quick. Uh, there is a new rule in this CBA. Uh, people are colloquially calling it the Kumar Rocker rule, uh, which is kind of silly. But anyways, if you attended the combine and took a physical, you are guaranteed 75% of the slot recommendation for that pick. So the Kumar Rocker thing wouldn't happen if Kumar Rocker had taken uh, a physical. So this is new, and, and no one's talking about this, Tim. I think it's something that is, is really undercovered because you're not going to see the same sort of um, Frank Mozzicato sort of reach because he only signed for like 60% of his slot. So you're going to see some manipulation there, but not to the degree uh, that it is. The other thing that I think this is going to do, and we'll have to see, is that college seniors uh, who didn't submit a physical probably did that for a reason. They might go a little bit higher because teams can say, hey, I'll give you $400,000 here in <laughs> round two. You're saving $600,000 on that player. And now if they took that that physical, they would be guaranteed in three quarters of a million, right? You see what I'm saying? So, like, so I actually think yeah. there's going to be a premium on these college seniors. So you might say, like, to see a Trey Lipscomb type, really nice uh, senior out of Tennessee, go higher than the aggregate rankings or higher than a lot of people thought he would go. So that's that's one that I, I, I think is worth watching. Uh, Tommy John surgery was the other one that, that I had on my list. We, we did touch on this a little bit. It's not just Dylan Lesko, the top college pitcher, uh, Connor Prelip, he had Tommy John surgery. Reggie Crawford, we talked about already. There's a dozen others. Hunter Barco, who the Mets drafted three years ago out of high school. Uh, he was having a really nice season for Florida. First round uh, pick, he goes down. Landon Sims, who was the best college pitcher after Connor Prelip, probably, he goes down. So college pitching is really weak because of the injuries, but it does give teams some opportunity to maybe draft them in round two or round three and get an ace. Uh, Connor Prelip is, if he's back and he's good, he's every bit of an ace, and he might not go until pick 25, Tim. So, so you could see a team like the St. Louis Cardinals get the best, what turns out to be the best college pitcher out of this draft, just because they don't have a lot of innings or coming back from, from that surgery. So it's a huge story in this draft. You're going to see a lot of, looking back on this draft in 10 years, you're going to see, like, how are there so many good uh, players with this, this great career war drafted in round two or round three? That's going to be a big reason why. And then the last one is just a player that I've talked about a lot. We talked about him last year. I think we talked about him this winter when uh, you, Ray, and I talked. Judd Fabian, he turned down $2 million from the Red Sox last year after getting drafted somewhere around the 30th pick. He goes back to Florida uh, for his red, redshirt junior season, I think. No, I'm sorry, just straight junior season, and really doesn't do well. Uh, the thing is that he might be Kevin Kiermeyer, He might be Kirk Neuenheis. And I don't think anyone really knows, including all 30 major league teams. So that's just another one. Like, I just don't know where he's going to get drafted. And that's just a big story for me to watch either end of day one or early day two. Nice. And um, I need to give you a hat tip on Ty Madden, man. You were all over him last year. And he's, he's doing all right. Pitching, he's been pitching all right. Yeah, he's in. I yeah. believe he's still in a, a high A. Yeah, and, it, and he started slow. I, I think you you, were, you probably saw that. Uh, he's really turned it on recently, though. And, and again, he's, he's a he's a great fastball slider guy. I wanted the Mets to take him last year. Once once Rocker was on the board, it was clear to me you had to take Rocker. But after that, he was he was my guy. He slides all the way to I think pick thirty one or something like that to the Tigers, who get Jackson Job and Ty Madden, which just doesn't seem fair. But I'm happy that he's doing well. I hope he becomes an ace. I like the Tigers as an organization, so I'm really excited for him. 
oh, what a future they have, man. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yep. <laughs> have you seen any Christian Hernandez? No. The Tigers Christian Hernandez. Oh, no. check him out, man. Will do. Oh, exciting young shortstop. He might play a little second, too, but oh, my goodness, bro. Ropes. Ropes off his bat constantly. Hey, I got a question for you, Tim, since you're, you're we'll combine our two strengths here because you're a minors guy and a, and a majors guy and I'm a draft guy. Spencer Torkelson was one of the most polished, polished dominant college hitters that we've seen in, in, in a decade. Uh, surefire bat, you know, even if he ends up at first or, or DH, we thought, because he played a little bit of third in, in college. You know, you can't miss bat. What's going on with him? What, what do you see from the point he was drafted to now, and do you see him turning it around do you see the same sort of evolution that maybe Andrew Vaughn is, is having right now? Or, or or is this something we're missing with these college bats that maybe are positionless but have that hit tool? And I'll tell you, there's a number in this draft uh, from, from Josh Young to uh, uh, Jacob Barry and, and others. Um, but what do, you, what, do you, what do you see with someone like Torkelson? You know, uh, so much potential, uh, incredible power. Oh, when he, gets a hold of, when he gets a hold of something, he's just, you know, through the roof. Um, it, it looks like he's having a lot of trouble. I mean, he's still having a lot of trouble with everything, but um, you have to imagine he's just kind of catching up to major league pitching at this point. I know he, his his whiff rates on breaking pitches is is well north of thirty something percent. Um, you know that that's a it's a cornerstone player. I, I personally I like Riley Green a little better, but um, oh, he's great. You know, Oh my goodness! Oh, you know, to, for a guy to to step right in, especially after the foot injury, this uh, in I guess he would have been on the opening day roster, I believe. Um, to come in and make an impact so fast, I believe he scored a run in like four out of five of his first games. I, I might be pulling that out of thin air, but um, just uh, an incredibly impact player. I I think Torkelson's going to be that guy eventually. I don't know if he's going to win a Gold Glove. I don't know if he's going to win a batting title. I don't know if he's going to hit 40 home runs a season, but (laughs) his talent level is, at least through my eyes, is there. He just needs time to adjust. Again, to come in full circle here, uh, development paths are not always linear. And even even these top camp miss guys, they don't always succeed right away. Torkelson, Adley Rutschman has kind of had a slow start. Uh, Jared Kelnick is, I don't even know where, but it's, it's not always linear for these guys. And, Fans should be really excited about the draft. I, I want more people to, to tune into it and become uh, fanatics like I am. But just understand that you know, these, these are very young athletes. That there's a long way to go for them to be good uh, and, and make an impact for the team that you that you want to see win. I, I will say that I think the Tigers made a, um, a, a very hasty decision bringing in Javi Baez. I know he's, he mm. came off a really, really good yeah. second half. Boy, he's struggling, man. I I was watching, maybe it was Wednesday. uh, I'm sorry, Tuesday this week. They had a day game. Um, It's doubleheader. And boy, he wasn't hitting 94-mile-an-hour sinkers, you know, down the deck. He he couldn't touch them. There's something up there, man. I don't know what the Mets were able to get out of him last year, but he lost yeah, it's, I, 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 he's one of my favorite non-Mets, and when we got him, I was excited, even though I knew the, the price tag was very, very steep. But, um, yeah, it's, it's tough, and, and sometimes it, players don't always have linear careers either. We talk about a development curve. Careers aren't always linear. Paul Goldschmidt doing what he's doing. Uh, where's that coming from? I mean, always been a great player, but this is a different level now. Sometimes it's health. Sometimes it's personal life. We don't really know. Guys make adjustments. Look at Joey Votto. Look at the season he had last year. 
Um, and he was completely open about it. He's like, oh, I'm going to hit for more power. And he did. And he made the adjustments. And, you know, I, I don't think Goldschmidt's been very outspoken as to what the change is, but he's certainly looking comfortable at the plate, man. What a year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this was fun, man. This, this is good. I look forward to this. Every, you know, I look, I, I'll start my 2023 draft uh, research probably, you know, Wednesday of next week. <laughs> of next week. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll, again, be on this island with, with my other nine draft friends for 350 days and then go crazy for two weeks when everyone else is, is paying attention. Um, so I'm, I, I, I want the draft to get here because I'm so anxious about it and I'm so looking forward to it, but I'm going to be sad when it's over. Oh, see, I just can't wait to go check the rookie the rookie league leaderboards, you know, in August, and 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 then I'll learn these guys. Like, we oh, just yeah. take to to getting to know these players. But I think you know, ending up at the same place is always uh, is always nice. Yeah, and you can get your uh, your rookie cards early because you you've got the scoop on these guys from their from their amateur days. Oh, you have no idea, bro. When when nobody was was buying uh, Gerard and Carnacion. Because he had a rough time in AAA, and then, you know, he, he absolutely raked in AA this year, made his way up to the majors, hit that grand slam against the Mets. Boy, that's how, clo- that's how quick the windows open and close, though. You know, absolutely. Four-week window, and I, and I picked him up in the offseason when, you know, he was rock bottom. Um, and then I probably got rid of him right when he started hitting in AAA. I didn't think he was going to be called up so fast. But right when he started hitting AAA, I sold all his stuff. And, boy, I did really, really well on it. Like, it's a self-sustaining hobby. You have guys that you keep. Luis Robert, Luis Robert, Luis Robert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my God. He's, dude, like, once he hits power, he, he's going to be a, um, a, a, just an elite, elite player. I was on his baseball reference page the other day, and he's just over a full season. I think he's kind of more in that 700 to 800 plate appearance now. But he's at seven war already. Yeah, and his OPS, crazy. his OPS isn't even touching 800. That's it's and, just me nuts. I think this season he hit for a bunch of power. Not a bunch, but, you know, rockets. And he's really just been focusing on line drives and putting it in the gap. And I don't know if that's an approach thing or, or, or a mechanics thing, but, yeah, I, I'm a big believer in, in his future prospects as far as being a, uh, a Hall of Fame caliber player. He's just... Whenever I watch him, he's just so much fun. Whatever he does, smooth as silk, man. Oh, what a fun player. All right, I got um, an either or for you. Oh, highest, oh, please. Highest career, let's say first half career war, so we'll have to check in, in in eight years or so. Adley Rutschman or Francisco Alvarez? I'm going to say <laughs> Francisco Alvarez because the okay. bat is just right. generational from what we hear, from what we've seen. Um I mean, when, when Gary Cohen is saying, was, when, he, when he's saying his hit tool is generational on the air before, you know, as he's hitting nothing in AAA, I think he, everybody, the consensus is he's special. I'm going to go Francisco. All right. I love it. I love both players. Adley's pretty special in his own right, but a little bit older and, and struggling a little bit in his rookie season. So we'll, we'll see. I think that's a good one well, to watch. I'm going to toss one back to you. Do you think Joey Bart figures it out? So jo- Joey Bart is interesting because you always see these college catchers go high in the drafts because, again, it's hard to develop catchers. So you take a shot when you think you have a, a sure thing out of college. I think Joey Bart is is probably never going to live up to the number two overall pick, which is what the, the San Francisco Giants made him a, a few years ago. 
I do think he's going to be a pretty serviceable catcher, though. He's a he's a good defender, and I think he's got that going for him. I, I think the bat is is going to have more value, but it's never going to be a plus. So what, what does that turn into? Does that turn into seven to ten WAR by the time he's a free agent? I would say that even for a number two pick, I think that's that's still a pretty good outcome. Oh sure, I think you know getting production at the major league level from your top draft pick is is always you know I think that's a W. Um, Bart, my my thing. I'm a big Joey Bart fan because you know I'm sure you've seen him connect on home runs. When he when he connects, when he squares up, that ball flies. All right, so he hit really really well in the minors. Mm-hmm. Buster Posey got hurt. He was rushed into the show. Went back down, hit again. Buster right. Posey retires. Got rushed in, you know, to a you know now you're the future kid. And I think that now you know, of course, the Giants have alternative options if they need to go that route but he dealt with some injuries he's still not hitting boy i i I, and his defensive play is is really really well he has a cannon for an arm Mm -hmm. i'm a big believer in joey bart's bat i do think that he um he figures it out i just don't know if the giants are going to wait it out which takes us right back to like the first thing we talked about is the level of patience that you kind of have to have from from draft even through major league debut Absolutely, and from from my angle, it's it, Joey Bart out of college. He went number two overall pick, and he was a consensus top guy. But his hit tool was a forty, and that was maybe really? maybe some some uh, publications had him a forty five. I'd be surprised if anyone had him a fifty. I mean, there, there were sixties everywhere else practically. I mean, everything defensively was a sixty or better, and his raw power was a sixty. So you thought, I mean, this is this is a, a stud potentially if we can just get more contacts, get the barrel. Uh, to, to the ball more often. Um, and that that hasn't happened yet. So you dream on a guy like that, maybe eventually getting a 50 tool. But yeah, out of college, it was probably a 40. Very similar to a guy named Logan Tanner out of Mississippi State. If you followed the College World Series last year, you probably saw him gun down some some base runners. He's got probably a 70 arm, 55-ish raw power, but a, a questionable hit tool. And, and, and the thing is, I think teams notice guys like Joey Bart. And Logan Tanner, he's probably going to get drafted in the, the second round, not the second pick. And you see that reaction, maybe an overreaction, based off of the results of, of players like that from years past. I look at Tyler Soderstrom and kind of think the same mm. thing. And right now, his star is as is, is bright as it could be. Right. Um, you have to wonder how that pans out. Right. And then, you, you know, someone like Joey Bart's going to sign with the, the Dodgers as a free agent, and they're going to f- fix something, tweak something, and, and he's going to you know, the hit tool is going to be a 60 and he's, he's going to have the second half career that puts him near the Hall of Fame because that just happens. But if he signs with the Royals or I don't know, the, the Pirates, there's a player development nightmare of an organization. He doesn't have that career. Well, now you got the Royals got Melendez. They're good. Yeah, the MJ yeah. Melendez is, is, is pretty legit. He is. I, I, you know, I haven't seen enough of him um, catching or calling a game, but you got to like what he's doing with the bat. Yeah. Oh, and they had, they had Sal Perez forever. So, yeah, that bad example. Royals are fine with developing catchers. <laughs> oh, no, no. I mean, you know, and even the Pirates. The Pirates, gosh, they – um, it's like well, they're not even – Henry Davis uh, this last draft. It, yeah. It, it, he's hurt now, isn't he? I don't know. He was hitting rockets. I remember – I think it was yeah. Farm to Fame shared a couple of his homers. One was a batting practice homer. And boy, you know, this thing, you, you lost it in the sky within a, a fraction of a second. The thing was just a rocket. But yeah, Henry Davis, that's an impressive young player. 
So it, he's another it. guy, though. 60s are better across the board except the hit tool. And again, you draft him early because you think even if even if he hits 230, he's a good major league catcher. And you're fine with yeah, that. You're with the number one overall pick. That's, that's a higher batting average than the catcher's than the catcher's batting average, a major league catching batting average. Right. right. But still, sure. you could see you could see how a Joey Bart has a 40 hit tool. I th- I, th- I think Henry Davis was more like a 50. Uh, but again, if you're a number one overall pick, a 50 hit tool is a bit of a question mark. But everything else is just was so good with him. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, and this is the fun of watching prospects go through stages, go through slumps, demotions, promotions, see how they react. I just, you know, I dig it. Um, We'll close it out. Trade deadline. Uh, Who do you think stays? uh, Who do you think is gone from the Mets organization? Because you know they're shopping this trade deadline. I'm sure they're going to be buyers. And and I think Alderson did not pull any punches when he talked about the the production that we were getting out of DH. I don't see any of our top five or six gone. So I, I could see some some guys a little bit farther down, maybe some lottery tickets from a short season ball and teenagers. Uh, I, I don't think we're going to get rid of anybody towards the top, though. I, I don't see uh, Contreras for Alvarez or anything just nutty like that happening. No, I know Mauricio is going to come up. I still I don't give up on him. I don't I don't care if he's blocked at shortstop. I find a spot for him. Yeah, I'm st- I'm still I'm still on the Ronnie Mauricio train. I know he just dropped off the top hundred uh, prospects list from MLB, which was a bit of a surprise, just considering his his skills and tools and physical gifts. Uh, I'm still all in on him. I I understand the the concerns, especially as he gets bigger. But oh man, what a, what a sweet swing and what an athletic uh, strong player and i think i think you can tap into a lot there oh i think you know you just i know i've said it on this show before just don't make the same mistake you made with ahmed rosario if you want to right. try him in the outfield do it now don't wait until spring training don't wait until pregame shag and fly balls to see if he can place outfield in the major leagues like um He's oh, come on, Dan- daniel murphy and lucas duda were outfielders for the new york mets so we have a great track record of success with moving players who from played, the infield to the outfield <laughs> who played left field in boston and had just uh, an escapade of a night just a, was, I, I think was it was it Duda. Oh, oh oh okay i don't remember oh, i, I know Duda. too but somebody got stuck out there and they were a, a lifetime infielder and and boy they everything that could have went wrong went wrong maybe it was <laughs> Duda or murphy uh Duda or murphy i forget I just remember, I don't remember who it was, but Duda was out in the left and he just, he, he was tracking a fly ball and it just went right over his head and the slow-mo had him, you know, eye on the ball, eye on the ball, eye on the ball and just sails right over his head. <laughs> I just felt bad for him. And That's Duda, deep. if I recall correctly, played outfield as, as late as Binghamton, if, I, if, if my memory is serving me right. But oof, at that point, he was very much a first baseman, probably maybe even a DH. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you know, we everybody loves Lucas Duda, and and as our friend Mike <laughs> Mayer said, the Mets definitely won the Lucas Duda trade. Oh yeah, Drew um, <laughs> yeah, Smith is uh, he's been a guy. I like Drew Smith a lot. I think he's going to have a, a nice career. It's house calls. I'm sorry. What was that? You cut out for a second. Oh, Doctor Smith. Oh, Doctor Smith. Doctor Smith. It's house calls. Well, do you know one one I like is that uh, Marte when he shows up on the box score is Marte S, which is Martes Tuesday in Spanish. So my joke is always that he only plays on Tuesdays. 
Uh, you I, had, I had to put one bad joke in here. It wouldn't be a, I wouldn't be a guest on your pod if I didn't throw one really bad joke in there, Tim. <laughs> oh, I was surprised we haven't had a pun yet, but that's okay. I know I've been really holding back, and it's Ray's not here, so uh, he's a bad influence. <laughs> um, I guess we should shine a quick light on the Cubs series before we sign off. Uh, the Mets will be facing Marcus Stroman, which, of course, you know, there's a lot of backstory to that, but. Um, He's kind of struggling out there. You have to wonder whether he can pick it up against the Mets or they kind of take advantage of that. Seems like a theme, right? Baez not having a great year. Syndergaard's been you know, okay, but doing it very differently, not really striking guys out, kind of not not the Thor we thought. Conforto, I'm not sure if he's alive. Uh, Stroman, though, I, I, has a very different season. He, he didn't miss a single start last year, and he's only made, I don't know, 10 this year, something like that. Uh, I still think he's a, a fantastic pitcher, fantastic athlete. He's um, going to be fine. Uh, I do hope that we, we bat him around a little bit, but um, yeah. Mark, Marcus Stroman's going to be all right. Oh, he's going to be, you know, he, he's a cog in Chicago, and he's going to, you know, they, they brought him in to be what they brought him in to be. And, you know, his fan base sure is, you know, still kind of wrapped up in it. And, and, and that's whatever, deservedly so. He made some missteps on the way out. That's undeniable, but, um, you know, he's gone you know, now. Mets fans <laughs> don't forget. I mean, they're going to be booing Jesse Winker for 10 years, uh, you know, and, and, you know, some young fans go like, why are we booing him? And then fans around just be like, Oh, just, we don't like him. You boo him too. And then that young <laughs> fan's going to boo him. This guy's going to be 40 years old getting booed by Mets fans. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. You know, and this stuff happens all the time. Someone becomes a villain and they just, they, yeah. they never, you know, it is what it is. The thing I like is Jesse Winker embraces the villain role. Oh, he's that's if anybody's a future Met, I hope Jesse Winker's a future Met. I do too. This is a crazy memory, but Jesse Winker, when he was a, uh, at the Futures game, and, and I can't find a recording of this. If you ever come across it, you got to send it to me. They put him on the on the air for an on-air interview, and he was a prep player. So we're talking about someone who was probably 17, 18 years old. I'm sorry, this was Futures game. So he was a minor leaguer, so still young, but my point is, he gave the best interview. He was cracking the guys in the booth up, just making jokes, <laughs> calling play-by-play. And, and yeah, 19, maybe 20 years old at this point. Um, and I've liked him ever since then. So it's weird for me seeing him as the villain. I was like, I know the guy who was cracking the booth up because he was, you know, roasting guys on the team and calling play-by-play as a minor leaguer in the Futures game. <laughs> That's oh, my first, first memory of Jesse Winker, so... I was at the game, I guess, the uh, the night that Wheeler pitched against the Reds. And it was the first night, I guess, a big home run and a little wave. Not the day game. It was the night game that he made that first little splash. Okay. But um, he was thrown out of the, the brawl last week. And he, I guess a blogger, um, a Mariners blogger, sent pizzas to the clubhouse. And, and they got there. And the pizza delivery man, like, you know, they put like a, a GoFundMe up and he made a bunch of money from fans who were tipping him. And then oh. Winkers sent, sent them pizzas like the next week, like more, like a feast of pizza. <laughs> what a, a gem of a guy. You that's awesome. Like that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, future Met Jesse Winker, y'all. You heard it here first. Oh, absolutely. We're going to write that on the wall. Hold on. That's the thing. We write it on the wall. You know what I still have up here? Time Madden, the, first round from the Mets. Oh, yeah, I know. I got the 49 and a half wins last season which i was sore i also have michael conforto getting 480 oof 
Time to paint over that spot on the wall. <laughs> I do think uh, a year ago you asked me for my, my final uh, guess, and I, I did have Madden to the Mets at pick 10 last year. So that was wrong, and it was way wrong. I mean, Madden went 20 picks after that, and Mets went rocker. So uh, I'm going to go bold this year. I am going to say Elijah Green 11, which would be – I mean, that would be the shock of the draft for the second year in a row. So it's probably not going to happen, but we'll say Elijah Green 11, and then – oh. Let's just do Dylan Lesko at 14. Let's just make this the draft and let's go all in. High risk, high reward. Never going to happen to him, but let's just say it. Say it will. For right now, I'm going to believe that it will. I think making the – I mean, how many people would have said they were getting rocker last year? Right. In the, in the days it. So, yeah, yeah, let's go. Let's Pie in the sky. Let's do it. Yeah, for, first off, we're not going prep prep. <laughs> and second, we're probably not going prep pitcher at all. So, yeah, I would put the odds at this at 0.1%. But, it, again, this is a draft to go big. I do think the Mets will do something bold. I don't know what that is. Um, but, yeah, why not? Let's lock it in. We get the highest upside hitter and the highest upside pitcher in the draft. Outstanding. And um, I think that's, that's just about all we got, man. We got like an hour 20. I'm going to have to ask Andrew to slip a, uh, to slip a, <laughs> an ad in the middle of this. This is awesome. I had so much fun, man. We got to do this again. We got to get Ray back. Everyone, I think Ray's got a music thing going on at the Sovereign in Brooklyn. If you look it up, I'm sure you'll find it. If that's your thing, please go check it out. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And Steve, what do you got cooking? I know that you, you're you're in and out of work and such, but um, you're doing much content. You have time to do a little content these days besides the occasional podcast appearance. Uh, I've got time to do it. I haven't gotten too many invitations. I even I, I had to shoot you a note about this. I'm like, Tim, when are we recording a draft episode? So yeah, if you've got anything else for me, I'd be happy to, you know, in a week to to come on and do a post mortem of the draft and. Uh, yeah, things are, are going well here, though, just trying to survive the Texas heat <laughs> right now. Maybe we can get Ray back for a little uh, for a little post, uh, a little recap. That'd be wonderful. And again, this might be a, a rare draft where we talk as much about the round two, three, four, even round five picks as we do the, the first round, guys. It's just going to be a very unique draft. Um, Boy, uh, I wish maybe we brought this up before Wednesday ahead of the draft, but you guys should think about doing like a Twitter spaces or something. If you find oh, the time, dirt. That'd be a great idea. Yeah, let's do it. If it comes up, please give me a buzz. I'd like to come on and say hi. Fantastic. Will do. Well, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure as always. Oh, the pleasure is all mine, my friend. Um, Stay cool down in Texas. That that looks like Edwin Diaz's uh, fastball velocity. (laughs) It does. It does. (laughs) That's good. I'm going to use that. Oh, yeah. Um, One day I saw something. uh, It was a weatherman making a fish reference and he's like i guess each year was in the 90s and he's making like silly references that only like me and like a dozen other people would get <laughs> and um yeah you know just clever stuff you try all right everybody um you know the sign off it's let's fucking go mets we'll be back taryn's gonna be back with us soon um everybody if you talk to him on twitter wish him luck on his uh on his exams coming up and um yeah We'll see you guys next time. Stephen, thank you again for joining us. Yeah, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. All right, guys. Take care. Peace.